and welcome to episode number 125 of the Nintendo Jump Podcast. We're a weekly discussion podcast created for Nintendo gamers by Nintendo gamers. It's November 19th, which means it's one day away from Age of Calamity. Cannot wait. Uh, my name is Daryl, and today, I'm once again joined by Kellen. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing pretty good. I don't want to take up too much time in my intro because everyone else has theirs to go through, but how are you doing today, Daryl? Uh, I mean, I'm okay. Um, the answer is an 8. An 8 out of 10. So, yeah. That's a pretty solid number. Yeah, and also with us, no, actually, it's just us. Um, so, it's just me and Kellen this week. So, like, this should be a lot of fun. Um, we actually have something special. So, we're finally doing uh, an episode I've been wanting to do for, geez, months <laughs> at this point. Um, and who better to join me than Mr. Roguelike himself? Kellen, what are we talking about? What are we doing? Yeah, you're right. This is an episode we've been wanting to do for a while, but we just have to keep starting over and over again and progressing a little bit further. Um, I think we're finally going to be able to get it to the finish line this time. So I'm pretty stoked about that. We're going to be talking about roguelikes, one of my favorite genres. Oh, man. There's, there's a lot here. So like, buckle in. Uh, but not only is this an episode about roguelikes, this is a roguelike episode. So, uh, your first test, uh, you know, obviously roguelikes, you know, the 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 definition of them, they have to have permadeath. So here you go. I'm going to ask you as a listener, pick a number between one and ten. No, seriously, pick a number between one and ten. All right. The correct answer was eight. If you did not pick eight, restart the episode. You don't have to do that. It's just play along. It's fun. Um Okay, so uh, yeah, we're gonna talk about roguelikes this this week uh, because I mean, this year has it, it, it basically started with a big roguelike in in one at least for Switch gamers in One Step from Eden, um, and it's almost ended with a big roguelike roguelike in Hades. Now, before I get too far into this, um, we're gonna go into a little bit of the history of what is a roguelike <laughs> exactly because that term tends to get thrown around and used incorrectly um i'm we will use it incorrectly i just did use it incorrectly so you know forgive us um but i mean basically so a rogue like it is called this because it is similar it is the same type trappings as the old video game called rogue uh so rogue was built for you know, Unix-based computers back in the in 1980. I, I when I was researching it, I didn't realize it was <laughs> quite that old. Um, but it was kind of a advanced an advancement of the old text-based adventures. But it's basically a dungeon-crawling, turn-based uh, RPG hack and slash. Well, not really hack and slash, but dungeon-crawling RPG um, with permadeath and randomized dungeons and. That was it. So when you died, you would restart the whole game. The dungeon would be different. Um, and that was Rogue. So it was not the first game to do that, but it was the most famous. So this it basically birthed this entire genre, um, which is kind of weird because like this game was developed in 1980. And I, I like Kellen, correct me if I'm wrong. Like the term roguelike seems like a more recent term. Yeah, I definitely feel like it is more recent. That really threw me off when you went in and did that research for uh, what year that game came out in. Yeah, so like, I'll and I'll hand this over to you. Like, can, what is a rogue like? So I think it depends who you ask, because some people will say it's the most rewarding games you'll ever play, and some will <laughs> say it's the most frustrating or just biggest waste of time you can spend in gaming. 
because in a roguelike game, the cards are almost stacked against you to start because you're usually starting as a severely underleveled character going through a world that's just too powerful for you. And it's designed this way because it's not supposed to be beat on the first playthrough. It's a game that encourages you to go in and try multiple times. And usually when you're dead, like you just have to go back to the start. But some sort of progression is taken from each run in most games. Um, I won't go into the distinction between a roguelite and a roguelike. Oh, I will. You okay. want to? Then go right on ahead. I'll pass it right back over to you, buddy. Oh, man. So for all you sticklers out there, now, this I, I'm going to identify this one time in this episode, and then we're both going to completely ignore it for the rest of the episode. <laughs> but this is just to please those people out there who know more about this genre than we do. Um, in technicality, a rogue-like is more along the trappings of the actual game rogue. Uh, so it has it, it it has randomized dungeons. It has permadeath. Generally, like some people even go as far as to say it has to be like a turn-based, um, top-down dungeon-crawling RPG, but most people kind of give it a pass on that. Um, but basically, there isn't permanent progression in a roguelike game. You can unlock stuff, you can change stuff, but you're not making it easier as you go. Um, in a roguelite game, which is a really annoying term, which is why we're going to kind of completely ignore this going forward. Um, in a roguelite, there's typically, still typically, you have permadeath, uh, which means, you know, you play it through until you die and you go back to the start and you play it again. Um, but there is some sort of overarching progression system. So, like, you earn experience that you can purchase upgrades to get better equipment and such to make the game easier as you go so that is every game that falls under that is technically a roguelite okay so now that i've appeased those those people we're going to completely ignore that for the rest of the episode kellen please continue (laughs) (laughs) thank you they sound so close i feel like you'd have to listen awful closely to even know what term we used but the overall (sighs) idea is kind of what we talked about you're going through um Kind of the same levels, but different at the same time, because a big part of the genre is that the levels are procedurally generated, and so they can be different every time. You may Mm -hmm. not get the same items every run. You may not even fight the same bosses in the same order. So there's a lot of randomization, but you're still trying to progress through the game and ultimately, you know, reach the end. And so it's a game that requires a lot of understanding the mechanics, what the game offers, different items, different synergies. There's a lot to the genre, but I feel like that gives a pretty decent overview of what the genre is. Yeah, and I mean, so Rogue, the the original game clearly evolved from like the text-based adventure games and um, throwing in a little bit of Dungeons & Dragons trappings onto it. Um, Where they are kind of currently, honestly, Rogue-like games kind of remind me of arcade games, um, but kind of remind me of like, ever-changing arcade games so like you're it's not really a score attack over the same set of stages um it's more okay try it again with this new set of stages in the same type theme um as somebody like i really like arcade games and and as somebody who kind of grew up playing more arcade games but not really playing any kind of roguelikes because again that's a fairly new term um i think the first game i ever remember being called that was Binding of Isaac, actually. Um, but again, I'm 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 a long-term Nintendo player, so I, I missed out on some of them until recently. But 
Yeah, I mean, they basically feel to me like uh, it when they're all different. Um, so when we talk about this, it's not a genre. Um, roguelike is very clearly not a genre. It's a styling of the game. Uh, and I feel like it's almost replaced the, you know, quote unquote RPG elements discussion. So like back in the 90s when every game had RPG elements, air quotes. Um, now almost every game is like, yeah, this has roguelike elements, right? <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it, it's also, a, this is a, a style of game that, um, at least for us Nintendo gamers, it was kind of weird is like, I would not have listed this as my favorite style of game. Um, I, I they're hit and miss for me and it kind of goes up and down with the specific games, which uh, makes sense, but it's not like I can say I like all roguelikes. I don't. Um, but What's kind of interesting to me is before the Switch came out, I had not played one. I'm pretty sure. And I've, I've been trying to think about it um, and trying to like go back through my old gaming library. I'm pretty sure I never played a roguelike until the Switch came out. Um, and then after now, you know, three, three and a half years after the Switch has come out, um, I have 20 of them. And I actually went through my list and I counted and I actually have 20 roguelikes on my system. Uh, like, and I kept like missing some because I kept like forgetting that they were like, I missed tumble seed for the longest time until, uh, Naprat reminded me and such. Like, it's just, it's funny to me how, just how prevalent they've become on switch versus like Wii U only had, geez, maybe like, uh, maybe less than 10 of them. Um, 3DS didn't have very many either. And then Switch has something like 150 of them. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think a big part of that is a lot of the roguelike games are produced by indie developers. And I don't know entirely why that is. Maybe it's easier for them to create kind of the structure of a game and then have it depend on randomness. But with the Switch being such a powerhouse for uh, indie developers, I think that's a big contributing factor. That and then, like you mentioned, just the widespreadness of the style of game. I mean, there's roguelike deck builders, roguelike RTS games, uh, flight simulators I even saw, underwater games, space exploration. It's really diving into everything. And so you're almost hard-pressed to come across someone that doesn't have this type of game in their library. You're almost hard-pressed to find a genre now that doesn't have a relative roguelike in it, though, (laughs) as well. Like, pretty much any game you can think of, there is some game fairly similar to it that is a roguelike, which is really funny at, at this point. Like, um, I look at, you know, 20XX is basically Mega Man X if done roguelike. Um, a robot ni- named Fight is basically Super Metroid, but with, like, really gross enemies. <laughs> um, and, and and so on. One Step for Eden has the battle system from Mega Man Battle Network, of all things. And they all, like, what's kind of weird to me is, like, Typically, it works really well with this format, and I'm not really sure what it is about the format that makes it work so well, Um, but what I found, like, uh, a game Northgard is a real-time strategy um, roguelike. I have Everspace, which is a a space flight simulator. Um, it's, It's crazy to me how well a lot of these trappings work, and I'm not sure I can understand exactly why. Yeah, you know, as I was thinking about what defines the style of game, I almost thought about, you know, games like Fortnite, where you're going in, you're restarting like as soon as you die, and you gain different weapons every time you go. You open chests, and there's like randomized items inside that are predetermined in the game, but you have no clue what you're going to get. 
and each run feels so similar yet so different. And mm-hmm. I know it's like a reach to call it a roguelike, and it's obviously not. But you start to see that style really bleed into so many different styles of games that I think it's got different parts to it. I think it brings more people into the hardcore roguelike type games. And I think we're seeing that with the hype around games like Hades or One Step from Eden when it first came out. And then we're also seeing that it's almost harder to define what a roguelike is because we're blurring that line so much. Yeah, like I said, it, it really reminds me of the the RPG argument. So like RPG used to be a thing and now it's just like almost every game has some sort of like skill tree or experience points or something in it. Um it's it's been blurred so much that you know the the argument of what is a roguelike or what is an RPG is it, it becomes harder um as you go. And I had the exact same thought as as you um that you know a lot of these like really big multiplayer games they're not roguelikes but you can see the parallels um and i'm not sure if they were even intentional but the hooks are there um and and what's interesting and what i want to talk about so this game this style of game again i don't want to call it a genre but this style of game has really freaking blown up um probably over eh, i would say over the last decade or so um, this has become one of the biggest game styles in, in gaming. Like, um, there's so many of them, and a lot of them are done extremely well. Like we said, there's there's kind of one for everything in terms of other genres and such. Um, I wanted to get a little bit into, like, why do you think that this style of game has become so popular? Why do people like it so much? And why, like, Hades just got nominated for Game of the Year, um, which I, I have mixed feelings on. But, like, what? why do you think that is? Why, why does that hooks people like this? You know, that's a good question. I think we already kind of drew the parallel to the popular multiplayer games nowadays. And I think roguelikes provide that environment without having to compete against another human player but you're competing more against yourself and there's also that self-gratification of getting a little bit further on a run um i actually wrote for our blog a piece about why i love the style of game so much and that's something that you can definitely go check out on our blog but i feel just the progression that you feel is unparalleled in this style of game i can progress in improve my skills in different multiplayer games online but it's not quite as satisfying because in a roguelike you feel like you yourself are getting better you're competing against yourself and ultimately you're breaking the game because the game doesn't want you to win it's you know doing everything that it possibly can to be difficult for you but you're learning everything about how it works it's inner workings different synergies and once you finally you know beat that game you have your first successful run you feel like you really mastered something and I think that's a big part of why the hooks get so deep in people with these games. And I got to tell you, like another piece of it is, is really the one more run style. <laughs> um, like a lot of times you get pretty far into one and you just barely die. And you're like, no, <laughs> okay, I can do it again. You know, like, and like four hours later, you're still playing the game. Right. Um, it, some of that is, is, and we'll get into this in a little bit. Um, the ones I, tend to not like are the ones that are i say less satisfying um you know you spent 45 minutes for literally no gain 
<laughs> um, that starts hurting after a while. Um, but like you said, the, it, there's something about beating your head against a wall for a little while, and then uh, you you finally crash through, and you're like, I did it. I'm gonna do it again. You know, like, <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. Um, that these games are just so freaking a- addictive. Um, for a number of reasons, it's the same. It, like like I said, it's the same concept. Um, even as an arcade game, uh, where you know arcade games were literally made to make money. Um, <laughs> sometimes by being extremely difficult, and and this takes a lot of it. Um, a common complaint of roguelikes is how difficult they tend to be. Uh, and, and I think this is actually a fair statement. Um, roguelikes tend to be among, like, among all styles of games, tend to be probably, you know, way up there on the difficulty scale. Um, and and some of them tend to get easier as you go, as you unlock things. Other ones are just like, nah, it's tough, deal with it. <laughs> um, and as, as, like, myself... I love that because I I enjoy hard games, but like, what is it like? How do newer players get into this genre? Maybe if they're like, you know, starting out in gaming or such. What blows my mind is how a difficult genre gets so popular. Yeah, I can definitely see that, and I think to your question of how does someone start to get into these types of games, we already talked about how accessible it's become now. Um, the stylings of roguelike games have bled into so many different genres that I think you need to find the type of game that you enjoy and then find a game in that category that also has roguelike elements. Because if you enjoy the scenery and kind of the environment and the character that you're in in that game, you're going to want to play it more often. Um, That's not to say it's going to be easier necessarily. All roguelike games are hard by design like we've mentioned, but I think finding kind of an area that you're somewhat comfortable in and then dipping your toe in there is definitely the best place to start. So I know when I started really getting into roguelikes, um, I started going to deck builders because I loved playing card games growing up and that's what really got me into it. I never really played like a ton of hack and slash or a ton of like dungeon crawling RPGs. And that's obviously like a big staple for roguelike games, but deck builders every time i see one hit and one's coming out soon griftlands my ears just perk up because i just adore those games and that's what got me into the style of game so i think that's really my suggestion if you like real-time strategy there's games for that if you like exploration there's roguelike games for that if you like survival games there's roguelike games for that like we could be here all night i think just (laughs) finding that game to start with is definitely the best starting point so which one, I, I was actually kind of curious about this. We didn't really talk about this ahead of time. Which one did you start with? Ugh, I don't even know if I can go back quite that far. There were a couple that I tried out and... Uh, which, was, which was the one that hooked you? Uh, maybe it may make it a little bit easier. I feel like the first time I really felt the hook set in was actually Slay the Spire okay. um, as far as deck building goes. And I know that's a slightly more recent game, but I had played roguelike games before then but that was the first one where i got to like 50 60 hours like warp speed super fast just diving into it reading strategies online watching youtube videos of you know rating the cards and best synergies and things so i feel like that's what really got uh, me into the genre or the style of game yeah i mean that 
that released in 2017. That's actually a little newer than I thought it was. Um, it feels like that game's been around forever. That's crazy to me. Um, yeah, my first one was actually, uh, it's, it's kind of a weird one because I didn't, when I played this game, I didn't really understand roguelike as, and you know, I'd, I'd heard the term thrown around, but, um, I didn't know what was a good one or a bad one or whatever. But the first one I really enjoyed was like a launch title for switch. And I mentioned it, I think last week, uh, has been heroes. Um, so it's a game I really, really like to this day. Um, it, it's one of my favorite roguelikes still. Um, again, it came out, it was really criticized for being too hard, uh, having some weird gameplay, which it kind of does. Like, there's nothing that I know of really like it. Um, it goes between some sort of, like, tower defense strategy rhythm type game. Um, I don't know if you've played it, Kellen, but No, I haven't. It's fun. That's one I definitely want to check out, though. I know you've talked about it a handful of times. Yeah, it's the developer of Trine, um, Frozen Bite, which, I, I mean, I really like them. I like the Trine games. Um, it's nothing like Trine, but... Uh, it's interesting. It's like a lane-based defense game where you're attacking with three different characters in a strategic way um, because they all hit a different number of times and all the enemies have a different number of shields. And if you break the shields perfectly, then you can do more damage and knock them, knock the enemies back and such. It's a really interesting game. Um, frequently goes on sale for less than 10 bucks. So please, yeah, like <laughs> that's, that's great. I, I've probably dumped about 60 hours into it. Um, mediocre reviews, but I, I really like it. Um, so for Slay the Spire, um, that was another one, like, man, that was one I would start playing and then like, you know, look up like four hours later and go, what, what just happened? (laughs) Um, but that was also the one that I started seeing some of the, some of the kind of cracks in the genre. Well, in the style, (laughs) I've been trying this whole episode not to call it a genre. Yeah, me too. Um, (laughs) but it, that's when I started like, you know, cause Slay the Spire, what I got into was like, I could build what I thought was like the perfect deck. Every synergy was great. It was fantastic. It was killing everything in my path until this one boss that it was just like perfectly opposite of my deck. And oh, sorry. <laughs> and, um, like I, I'm sure that that's a, it is both a function of the RNG and it's a function of my weakness <laughs> in the game. But yeah, that started, that started really hurting me because like you get, you know, 40 minutes into a run and then you just die. You're like, sweet. Yeah. It's definitely a downfall of the game and style of the game. Um, what I kind of liked about how they tried to get around that crack is as you're progressing up your track and making decisions, like which branch you want to go on, you can go up to the top and it gives you an indication of which boss you'll be facing. So if you're familiar enough, you have enough time to maybe remove some cards that may not work well against them or pick up cards that will work. And I know it's kind of hard because you may have been spending your entire run building a great deck that's worked so far and all of a sudden you have to like trash it and pull a 180. (laughs) Um, But I think that also adds to the challenge a bit. So I think for most of our discussion, we'll be talking about what makes a good roguelike and where they kind of fall frustrating or a little bit flat. And I think that definitely is a big part of it. The randomness is a big part of the style. It's part of what gets those hooks in. But at times, it can really come back and bite you and leave such a sour feeling that you almost don't want to play the game anymore. Yeah, and I mean, as somebody who grew up on like... um 
you know, the Oregon Trail. <laughs> it's it's kind of a roguelike, <laughs> you know. Um, but I, I I understand like losing <laughs> at a game after a while, but it, you know, it 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 starts weighing on me. So, like, I guess the general question I have, like, in your opinion, everybody's different. So we did ask the question on on Twitter. Um, you know, what are your favorite roguelikes? Just very general question, right? And everybody had widely different answers. Some of some of the people were answering games. I'm like, Ugh. you know, like, <laughs> I I can't stand that game uh, or whatever. But what's cool about it is that everybody has their own one or two that they really really like, and everybody kind of has their own criteria. So I wanted to ask you, like, what in your opinion makes a good roguelike? Oof, man, that's a great question. So there are four things I think make a great roguelike or four main components to the style. And the way that the developer of the game decides to go about those four things really makes or breaks if it's a good or quote-unquote bad roguelike game. So those four main things are progression, choices, escalation, and variety. So first with progression, I don't necessarily mean permanent progression, like you go through a run, you increase your max health, and that stays with you over time. Um, but I'm more referring to how you progress through each individual run from where you started to where you died and then you start over again. And so I think part of what makes a good roguelike when it comes to progression is that a good roguelike would tie its progression into how the developer wants you to play. And I think a good example of that is actually Downwell which is a game that I didn't really consider to be a roguelike when I was going through my library and trying to count how many I had. And yeah, I didn't, I didn't consider it. <laughs> I realized this is like by definition a roguelike game. And wow. so with Downwell, you're basically super simple stylistically. You're falling down a well and you have like bullets you can shoot out of your feet to stop your fall or you can use them to kill enemies and you can go like really methodically down the well. You can take your time. There's different platforms you can stop on. You can easily avoid enemies going that way, but that's not really fun. And that's not how the developer wanted you to play the game. So they provided an incentive where you gain resources and health as you string together combos without touching the ground. So now all of a sudden the game isn't let me hop from platform to platform trying to sneak down this well, but it's can I stretch out this combo any further? Can I challenge myself and try to kill this enemy to increase my health? And so I think that's a big part of what makes progression good versus not good. I think good progression systems come when the best way to play is the fun way to play. And I know this is something that I like that a lot. You kind of get hung up on with roguelikes where the progression just feels bad and so it becomes frustrating. Uh, do you agree with what I think is good progression and what would you consider bad progression? Yeah, so what what I consider, it it's hard to have this conversation without talking about Hades. And I don't want to spend too much time on Hades because like it's been talked to death on this podcast, let's be honest. Um, but I, I it's hard to talk about it w- without saying like this is where Hades starts kind of wearing on me a little bit has really good permanent progression but the run progression is always like i don't i don't know there's just something something missing there something i don't enjoy about it It, and what's weird is it 
also goes into the other really critically acclaimed roguelike, which is Dead Cells. Um, Dead Cells, one of the coolest playing games ever. Like, the combat is really cool. The movement is really cool. It looks really good. But also, I just don't like playing it most of the time, (laughs) and I don't know why, but it almost feels like, oh, sweet, I got to another area. Thank you. Uh, all right, now I got to trudge through the swamp. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like it's the same feeling. Like, ironically, it's the same feeling I got from like Earthbound, uh, where I don't really like any of the areas in this game. So, like, I just want to be done with the area, and then I'm in this other area. I'm like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, but I agree with you. It, like, mid-run progression of fun to fun is so important in this series or in this style i would say yeah i agree and i have similar feelings about hades and dead cells and trying to link my thoughts together i don't know if that's because the those games don't really have a set way that they want you to play like in downwell they don't want it to be a platformer they want you to be like screaming down these wells stringing together cool combos and just feeling really cool um hades you can like run around and slash people left and right but each weapon kind of has a different play style so you have to play a little bit differently so I sure. wonder if that kind of plays into the progression as well. Um, the way that they're, those games are designed, it's really left to the player to decide how they want to play and what's fun to them, which I think is a good thing when it's pulled off well. And I'm not going to say that those games weren't designed well because they were, but I think they that's <laughs> part of why we're missing that satisfaction from progression. Yeah, like I agree with you. It might just be that the, especially Dead Cells, it might just be that it's almost too open in the way it wants you to play. Yeah, I agree. Because there are times where I'm like busting down doors and just knocking people out. And there are times where I'm like waiting patiently at the door for an enemy to go by so I can knock it down and stun them. And I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's good for me to have to adapt my play style and decide how I want to play. Or maybe with this type of game, the game design has to be more in the driver's seat of how I should play. Yeah, I think that's fair. For sure. And so I think another big design decision with roguelikes is force progression versus optional. And one game that came to mind in thinking about this idea is Into the Breach. Because some games allow you to progress as you go, like optionally, and then others it's almost required. Like if you're going to clear this level, um, you're going to progress the same. But with Into the Breach, you have these side quests to get like additional resources and upgrades. And so it really leaves it to the player to decide how they want to play because at the base of it into the breach is a game where aliens are invading and you're controlling this team of mechs across a grid, um, a ton of different teams to choose from. They all have different abilities. And the main goal is you're just trying to protect the buildings because as they get hit by aliens, you lose energy or HP in the game. And so doing that alone after you get some experience in the game is actually fairly easy. What's difficult and when you decide to really stretch yourself out and progress is when you try to not only do that, but also juggle these optional tasks of maybe you have to kill a certain strong enemy or you're not allowed to take any damage at all or things like that. And so I think that optional progression really opens up a lot of doors for how you want to play the game without losing the direction of the game, which I think kind of bridges that gap that we talked about between the decisiveness of Downwell versus the openness of a game like Dead Cells. Yeah, and and 
What's interesting, um, like a lot of this style of game, um, a lot of it allows you to rush through the level without picking up all of the upgrades. So often in this style of game, you get an early exit. Like uh, Children of Morta does this. You can find the exit before you complete the maze. Um, Dead Cells does it to some extent. Um, Has been Heroes, you can you can go a shorter path through the map, and, and, and so on. You can always almost pick the easy option, but it almost always screws you at the end um, because you've missed out on all the extra stuff that you get from either fully exploring stuff or... Um, doing the optional challenges or the the harder battles or such. Sometimes you get options like, I want to take the easy option or the hard option. Um, Slay the Spire does that all the time, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and it's almost always a good option, a good answer to go with the hard option, except you will probably die if you do. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's definitely the definition of risk reward, right? Yeah, you know, I agree with that, and I think some games in the style make it far too easy. When I started playing Dead Cells, I thought I was killing it, hopping from rooftop to rooftop, like getting to the elevator at the end of each level, and I realized I was bypassing everything underneath me that I was supposed to go through because they made that early exit so easy that I'd get to a boss and I'd get wiped because I wasn't getting those upgrades, I wasn't getting the new items. <laughs> yeah, and so, you hit the boss and you just do four damage and you're like oh no yeah, pretty much he just steps <laughs> on me and i'm dead like i'm so squishy but yeah i think that's something that players not familiar with the style of game will go in and they'll see that door and they'll be like oh thank goodness i survived like i'm on to the next level but they don't realize that that grind is there you're supposed to go in you're supposed to knock out those enemies take their loot however the style of however the game is designed and i don't know maybe that's part of what makes it so inaccessible to some people is they don't fully understand how to play the game because the design of the game doesn't teach them that they have to go through and do that instead of taking that quick exit. Yeah, I agree. For sure. And I think that kind of transitions into the second thing that I think makes the style of game and that's choices. Kind of like what we mentioned, a lot of games give players that easy out and you have the choice to take it, but then you also have the choice to kind of press your luck and it almost is a microcosm of like the entire style of game because you've always got that one more run. It's like, well, maybe in this run I can push my luck one more time. Like maybe I can pull this off and then go into the boss and I'll have this awesome upgrade now. And so I think what makes a roguelike good as far as choices go is when the game leaves as many choices to the player as possible. And so one example I have is Crypt of the Necrodancer. Um, you're going through dungeons and you're destroying enemies and exploring caves to the rhythm of the music. Each level has a different soundtrack, has a different song and a different beat that you move to. And, and they're all great. And they're all great. They are so good. Definitely pick it up. We already mentioned it on a previous episode, but it goes on super sales all the time. So definitely wishlist it. It goes down keep to an eye on it. It goes down to three dollars, and I mean, for three dollars, you could do a lot worse. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely recommended. NJP seal of approval right there. But yeah, the decisions in Necrodancer, you constantly come across items, and you can only really hold one weapon at a time, besides like bombs or runes. And so you're trying to decide: Do I want to pick up this weapon? Do I not? You go to the shop and sometimes there's like two health items. There's like a weapon and maybe a scroll or something. But it's like if I already have a good weapon 
and I'm at max health, that extra health doesn't do anything for me. I've got a good weapon, so I don't want to pick that up. So by default, if I'm going to spend money, I'm going to get the last item. And I think that kind of limits your choices as you go through. And so not to just like totally gush over Downwell here because it's such a simple game. But in that game, you can continue to pick up additional health even when you're at max health. Because once you pick up enough additional health, your max health increases. And so there's always that decision of, do I buy a health upgrade even though I'm at max health? Or do I go with this other option? So the choices are always there on the table. Um, Players can control how they want to move through, but with each step, they have to make a choice. And I think that's part of what makes the genre so interesting. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, as you've gone through and you've played these different roguelikes, how have you seen the decision-making left on the player vary? Well, I mean, like, I I get given the option of flame sword or lightning whip, and you know I'm I'm gonna take the flame sword every time. You know it's just yeah. like, it's it's is I. It, what's interesting is I like a lot of these games, and this actually goes back to the original, the rogue. Um, a lot of these games don't tell you initially what the upgrades are. Um, and they just they're like, hey, you want this? It's fifty gold, and you're like. Heck yeah. <laughs> and, and then you pick it up, you're like, oh no, what I just did. <laughs> um, sometimes, I mean, some games are, are particularly uh, devious and actually have bad upgrades um, that, that hurt you. Uh, and then sometimes you just pick up a weapon, you're like, man, I really didn't want this. Um, but I do like the choices, especially as you learn the game and you're like, yes, I like that. And every time you see that, you're like, sweet, there's, there's my sword. There it is, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think that also contributes to the re- the replayability of these types of games because you're constantly unlocking items, but you really have to go through and play with you know each item a handful of times to really know what you like. If you like that flame sword, if you like the lightning whip, for example, and I would go with lightning whip myself, but I mean, that's just personal preference. And really, the choices that you make are so important. I think it's so important in good roguelike design to leave all the choices to the player because choices are what makes each run different from the last. You know, going through and deciding to pick up that sword or that shield instead of another one is what's going to make your run different than the one that you just had or the one you're going to have next. And so I think Slay the Spire handles choices pretty well because it's a roguelike deck builder, and as you're going through the three different parts of a run, there's kind of like branching paths that are laid out for you, and you can... Sit there, you can stare at your screen from the very start, and you can kind of plot out how you want to progress up this tree. Maybe you want to go through, whack three enemies, get to a shop, and then to a campfire to heal or upgrade. Or maybe you want to go on a detour and take out a stronger enemy for a a greater relic. Um, I think having those choices left to you, not only there, but also in deciding which cards you want to add to your deck, or more more, more importantly which cards you you want to remove. Yeah. I think that's part of what makes that game so addicting to me. Every part of that game, every second I'm playing, a decision has to be made. Am I going to stick to the path that I plotted out? What card am I going to play? Am I going to pick up any more attack cards? Do I have to focus on defense? Do I want to upgrade this card? And part of what makes Slay the Spire so great and why I'm highlighting it for choices is it's like into the breach at telegraphs what the enemy is going to do ahead of time 
So you know, oh no, this enemy is going to hit me for like 40 and I'm going to get wiped. <laughs> so I have to sit here and do the mental math of how I can come up with, you know, enough defense to survive this blow so I can land the final hit. And it's so disheartening when you're just like, I just can't do it. I've been there. Last night I was playing and a boss is going to hit me for 60 and I'm like, I can't. It was the final boss too. I'm like, I can't defend against this. And What is interesting awful. is... Into the Breach is really interesting to me because the game design is such that it, I have not encountered a situation in Into the Breach yet that did not feel like it was possible to win. I agree. Um, Some of them were like ridiculously hard, but it always gave me the thought that like if I stare at the screen long enough, I'm going to find <laughs> the chess moves that make this work. No matter where I position my mechs at the start, it's really fascinating. I, I don't know exactly how they did that uh slay the spire sometimes you're just screwed (laughs) and sometimes you're just like well it's been fun (laughs) you know like he's gonna hit me three times 50 health each okay (laughs) i can't can't. yeah um i totally agree with that i I do want to ask you a question because this this uh, different people play these games differently um it when playing a run of this game are you more likely to vary your choices from run to run like pick different weapons intentionally or are you more likely to like get into the weapons or cards or whatever that you generally like and just stick with them yeah that's a great question so i think this is where i started to progress the most in games like slay the spire and one step from eden Because when I started playing them, I was like, man, I really like poison decks. It's fun to just bleed out my opponent and have that poison stack. But then if I go into that mindset and then I start up the game and no poison cards are offered to me, I'm just waiting Uh and waiting and waiting to get them and I never get them. Um, Well, I guess I'll build a fire deck. Yeah, I'm done for (laughs) and I just have to hope it's not too late to shift strategy. And so I've kind of had to go through the mindset change of I'm going to go into a run totally blank the game's going to decide what it's going to throw at me because that's literally what it's going to do. And then I'm just going to weigh out each individual choice that's given to me. And so I think as long as you make the best choice, you know, choice after choice, you're going to be good. You're going to be fine. I don't doubt that some games there are like better strategies than others. Maybe, you know, a certain style deck or play styles a little stronger in the current meta. So you can want to, kind of branch out towards that or kind of seek that out on your run. But if it's not offered to you, then you're failing the game because you have to, you have to do your best with what's given to you. And I think that's part of why I like the style of game so much. Yeah. I think for me, the, the good roguelikes are the ones that, um, for those of you who have played games with me specifically like smash brothers or something, you will know me as the guy who switches characters every round. Um, that's mostly like, I don't when I'm like really taking it seriously or whatever, but when I'm fooling around, yeah, I, I do that because I enjoy the variety that video games offer. Um, so I'm the type of guy that leans into a roguelike for like, hey, I'm going to try it with this weapon this time and just see what happens. And I'm just going to play the whole run with this weapon or this character or this, you know, card deck or I'm going to try to build this or whatever, unless I'm really grinding it to try to win this particular way. Um, that does kind of feed into my personal energy. I like the choice. Yeah, I definitely agree. I feel the same way approaching the games. And I think that's a big tip that I would give to people going into roguelikes is don't go into a run with kind of like a design already in your head because so much 
in these types of games are out of your control. Like you may get lucky. It may work out, you know, DM me when it does, I'll be waiting. But (laughs) I think that's just part of the game. That's part of what makes them so good is you can't go in and be like, if I get these three cards, I win. Like, no, that's not how it works because those cards may not even be offered to you. And you may come across an enemy that doesn't work with that strategy, that weapon, that card. And so, I don't know. I feel like that's a really important part of the game design is those choices. Having wide enough of a pool of weapons or cards for players to make varied decisions. But then also leaving enough up to players where every choice feels like it's viable or has a place. Where you feel like you're making a decision at every turn. Yeah, fair enough. So the next point I kind of want to talk about about what makes a roguelike good is the way that it escalates. And by that I mean as you're going through the run, how is the game kind of ramping up? So, you know, we're familiar with games like Mario. You kind of progress from like world to world, area to area. That's a pretty big staple in gaming. Um, And a lot of roguelikes kind of move like that, like Crypt of the Necrodancer, you're going from dungeon to dungeon. Uh, Children of Morda, you're going through and progressing from area to area. Um, Same in Hades. And those areas don't necessarily change in scope. You're always going to start like in the same world. The individual dungeons may be different, but the world's kind of the same. Um, And so I think with escalation is really important in roguelikes and can become kind of repetitive once you get that level one, level two type progression. I think one of the most interesting cases of progression in roguelikes comes with Risk of Rain 2. And this kind of feeds into... Everything that I've talked about to this point with choices, with variety, with progression, because with Risk of Rain 2, you're progressing from area to area still, but the game doesn't necessarily get harder from area to area. It gets harder with the passage of time. And so you can go through and you can kill as many enemies as you want, and you can just stay in an area. You don't have to progress. You don't have to go to the portal. You don't have to go to the next level. You can just keep grinding, go up experience. You can gain currency. You can gain new items, different weapons, things like that. But it's going to get harder as it goes. And so you're constantly asking yourself, (laughs) okay, is it time to go now? Like, I want to spend enough time to where I'm powerful enough to take down the later game, but I don't want to wait so long that at the later game, enemies become like bullet sponges (laughs) and I just get wiped. I mean, yeah. you've played this game. How do you feel about the progression? Oh, God, that game is so stressful. <laughs> the The best times in that game are like, I have no idea where the exit is. Oh, God. <laughs> what? Where do I have to go? I love that game. I, like, don't, don't get me wrong. It's really, really fun. It's a 3D shooter co-op multiplayer, which, by the way, any roguelike with online co-op is going to be my friend. Like, it's awesome. Like, the only... I, I can really only think of two at this moment. It's uh, Risk of Rain 2 and um, uh, why am I blanking on the other one? I did say I could think of two. Do, 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 yeah. do. Oh, 20XX. Yeah, so Risk of Rain 2 and, and 20XX not being the only ones really I can think of right now. Um, there are a few that offer like local co-op. Um, Children of Morta does. That game keeps coming up. I'm going to circle back on that in a second. Um, but first, I mean, let's get into your final point. Yeah, so my <laughs> final point is variety. And I think that also encapsul- encapsulates the other points that I've been talking about. 
um, because the different choices are going to bring variety. Um, the way that you progress through a level brings variety. But then there's kind of this design decision of is variety forced or is it optional? And so a lot of forced variety in these types of games are the way that the different levels are generated. Like there's going to be that variety, there's going to be that randomness, nothing's ever going to be the same because there's all these different seeds that could give you a different run or different experience. So like Children of Morta is cool because it forces variety, but in a good way. Because in Children of Morta, you're playing through as a family, which is really neat. And each different family member plays so differently. You've got, you know, an archer, you've got a brawler, you've got a pyromancer, you've got all these different family members with different abilities. But you can't necessarily take to one and just main them because they're going to get fatigued as you use them. And then you're forced to drop them and play as a different character because while they're fatigued, they become severely less efficient. And so I think that's really cool. Um, I think it's a good way of forcing that variety. The the cooler way, and I see you have this point on here too, uh, the cooler way that it quote-unquote forces variety is it gives you rewards for playing as each of the characters. So each of the characters has their own skill tree, and as you... Um, progress in levels with each character, they unlock skills that add stats to the entire family. So you are benefited by playing the variety of characters to level them up enough to raise the stats of the all the characters. That is so cool. That is really cool. And I think that's what makes Children of Morda one of the best roguelike games that you can play right now. And I would definitely we'll recommend going out and getting it. I know you feel the same way. Um, we'll get to it. Yeah. It takes that kind of con of forced variety that's almost forced upon the style to make it work, and it really makes it work. And so I don't think forced variety or optional variety is either right or wrong. It's really how it's done, because One Step from Eden is another game we've been talking about quite a bit, and there's a lot of unforced variety in that game. You're able to pick out whatever card or class you want, a ton of different characters that all play differently, have different weapons... If you play long enough, each character has like a different style that fundamentally changes how they play. There's so yep. much unforced variety in the game that it doesn't feel overwhelming, but it feels like you can play the way that you want to, but you still understand how you're supposed to be playing. Yeah, completely agree. So, I mean, I think those are all really important. And the last thing I wanted to kind of hit on is the design decision of permanent upgrades versus no permanent upgrades. Oh, this is where I got stuff. This is like the sticky points. So I'm going to hand it over to you because you seem like you're ready to just tear into this one. Yeah. So this is this is the big thing in in um, roguelikes, and it's whether a game. Off, like first of all, whether a game offers you any kind of permanent upgrades. So are are your characters getting better by playing the game, even if you don't win, like outside of the runs? So this is good and bad. Um, it's good in the fact that it feels like you're making progress in the game, even if you lose. So you don't have that moment where you just die and you're like, ah, I just lost forty minutes. No, I got all this, you know widgets that I can now spend on some stat upgrade that's going to make it easier for me. The downside here, and boy does Hades fall into this, and um, a few others, Rogue Legacy for sure, uh, 
The downside of this is often permanent upgrades, while giving you progression over the course of the game, also lead to the game feeling inherently unfair when you start it. Um, so, like, with Hades, um, first of all, I, I'm saying a lot of negatives on Hades. I don't mean to, because this is a really good game. I, I don't have a problem. I, I've said that the entire time. Like, Hades is a very good game. Um, it is a very good example of a roguelike, and I definitely recommend picking it up. The problem I have with it, though, is that it is one of the... It's really one of the two best roguelikes that I've played in terms of outside of run progression in because it, it, it progresses the story. You can upgrade your character. The game gets a little bit easier and you can get farther and so on. It's, an, it's a nice loop. The problem is like they want you to have that loop a lot of times. So like most of these games, you're not going to beat on your first run. Hades, you're not going to beat on your first run. Um, and it's hard for me to justify that without just feeling like, you know, if you wanted me to progress in the story, could you have done it a slightly different way um, without making it feel like you're just kind of wasting my time at this point? Uh, and I get it, and I get why, you know, a lot of people love the game, and I get why. I Believe me, I truly do. Um, but that's, that's one of the things that starts kind of weighing on me is, is that I don't like it when the game sacrifices fairness or initial quality for the promise of future upgrades, if that makes sense. Yeah, I really like the way that you kind of spelled that out. I think that summary really nails it. Um, really, with permanent progression, my big thing is I feel like some game designers take that as an excuse to make the game incredibly hard. Like. Yeah they already know that you're in for all these different runs to even get to the point where you can think about beating the game. So they just crank those final bosses up over 9,000 and they make them like freaking impossible. So I think deciding to go with that permanent upgrade creates like an artificial barrier that you must have to break. And then there's like Rogue Legacy you briefly mentioned. I tried going back to that game and it's fun. <laughs> that game feels really freaking unfair. Like if you if you play Rogue Legacy, which I definitely recommend. I actually really like the game, but your goal for each run is not to beat it. It's to get as much gold <laughs> as you can so you can buy upgrades because for a while you're not going to even be close at all. <laughs> like Yeah, and I had mentioned to you that I was going back to that game but getting frustrated and you're like you just have to change the way that you view it like this is a treasure hunt for a while. You're just trying to get that gold to upgrade. But what's frustrating is you're going through, you're getting gold, maybe you scrap together like 400 before you got annihilated in a room. And maybe the next permanent upgrade you had to buy is like 500. And so you're like, yeah. great. So you have to go back through. You have to give up all your gold from the previous run to go back through again. And then maybe you only get 200 and you get annihilated. And it's like, well, now there's this barrier of the goal isn't to beat the game. The goal is to get 500 coins before dying. And then I get to yep. do it all over again to get 700 coins for the next upgrade. And so while I feel like the game's good, it's fun, it's frustrating. And I don't want to go out and say it's bad game design because I'm not a game designer. But from someone playing the game, that's super frustrating. I got to say, I was getting a kick out of the game, but I completely agree with you. Like, I, I, I would recommend picking this game up. It goes on very deep sales from time to time. Um, it's Rogue Legacy. It's a side-scrolling, like, hack-and-slash style. And it has some really interesting mechanics, like the inheritance mechanics and such. But I, I digress. Um, it, it's a funny game. It, it's so blatantly unfair. 
<laughs> yeah, it feels um, like those unfair Mario games at times. It's like, seriously? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the the one what I, this is the point that I talk about Children of Morta. Um, so Children of Morta, like hands down, cards on the table, spoiling the any discussion we're going to have in just a second. Children of Morta is the best roguelike I've ever played in my life. Um, which in my life is basically the life of the switch at this point. Um, and what's, that's kind of a funny thing to say because it kind of isn't a roguelike, like it kind of does away with a lot of the trappings of the series. First of all, um, you're not trying to play through the entire game in one setting. It's divided up into levels. Awesome. (laughs) That's great. Um, so that you can get that progression element by beating a level, not by beating the entire game great um but also the progression in between levels that you get in that game there's nothing that feels unfair about it like you play the you play the game you go through you get as far as you get um the early levels feel hard but they don't feel impossible um it's it doesn't feel like you're just waiting for upgrades it feels like you're actually just playing like you know you know top down dungeon crawling like you know, hack and slash style games. And it feels like you can win at the beginning. I actually beat the first level fairly early, like just a few runs in. Um, And it felt great because like, not only do you do that, but every time you actually die, you've probably made up a ton of gold. So you go back, you buy a couple upgrades, you go back in and then, you know, you play a little bit more. That plus like the, it does the same thing that Hades does in that it's progressing the overall story as you play the game. It's a the story about this family that's defending a forest from the corruption. Um, it's really dark, by the way, but it's like kind of lightened by the f- the family dynamics. Um, you will see a lot of like pixelated dead animals. And people, <laughs> so if you're not into that, like there's a lot of it. It's very but, pixelated. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of you know it, it, it leans into its pixel art style, but. Um, man, I, I love that game and I, I've been playing, so I, I went back through and, and for the purposes of this episode, I went back through and played pretty much every, like at, at, at least a dozen roguelikes I have on my system just to get a feel for the, the genre, <laughs> the style. Um, this one was the one that I stuck with. And this is the one that like, if you are listening to us and you like, or, you know, you're interested in the concept of roguelikes. Maybe you've gotten through Hades and, and you're kind of ready to move on or something. Please, please pick up Children of Morta um, because in my opinion, it's best in class. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, Daryl actually wanted to ask you a question real quick. Sure. Or I guess this is to the listeners. Would Daryl rather have a flaming sword or an electric whip? The answer is flaming sword. So if you got that wrong... Sorry. Start, <laughs> start over. over. You're dead. <laughs> Permadeath. I think we have to start Done. over every time we call it a genre instead of a style. Yeah. Hello and welcome to... No, <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, it, at this point, like, it, it becomes this weird thing, like, um, the, the progression, and, and you wrote down this point, and I really like it. One of the cons of the progression is, like, as you go through Hades, for example, are you getting better at Hades or are you making the game easier through the upgrades? The answer is probably a little bit of both. <laughs> but it, the game makes you feel like you're getting better, but it's almost kind of lying to you. Yeah, I think that's as I've spent more time in the game, I definitely feel that. And I don't know if it's just the setting of the game, but it's almost meant to make you feel like a god where, you know, you're 
attacks are being chained together by lightning and you've got like all these crazy buffs and you're stunning opponents and all these different things and it feels good it feels rewarding because it almost like boosts your ego but at the same time yeah i feel like in hades you do get better as you play more but it also leans heavier into the game becomes easier the more that you play so i definitely play more rogue lights than rogue likes for that reason just because i can't dedicate my life to trying to clear one game like i'm just not gonna do it um but the satisfaction with that permanent upgrade i think is a little lessened because you don't you didn't feel like you truly mastered the game you feel like you took the game down a couple pegs so you could beat it yeah i tell you like i i'll, I'll go back to this one more time like has been heroes um is actually kind of a reverse progression from most of these games the game the first time you play it you go through like two maps and then you fight a boss. And if you fight the boss, you win. That's great. The next time you play it, you go through three maps. Next time, four maps. And, and so on. So the game keeps getting harder <laughs> as you play it. Also, there's really no permanent upgrades. Like, you unlock characters, but you're not making it easier on yourself in any kind of permanent fashion. So it's more like a roguelike. Um, the other one that comes to mind is is Steradin, uh, which is a side-scrolling space shooter. Think Gradius 3, but randomized levels and weapons. Um which that game I almost don't even think of as a roguelike, but it is. It, it, it totally is. It's it's just literally Gradius 3 with randomized levels and weapons. Um, but same thing, like those two games, yeah, you're getting better as you go for sure because you're not make, you're not unlocking anything to make it easier. Um, you're just, well, you, you unlock characters and ships, so maybe, you know, certain ones feel easier to you, but you're not like, you know, do 50 more damage every time you attack or, or something like that. So it's interesting. It just kind of comes down to personal preference, I think. Yeah. And the satisfaction in different games varies so widely. You know, I was thinking about Celeste, for example, because we're talking yeah. about dying over and over and over again. Like I do that constantly, but you progress from screen to screen, but that screen always stays the same. So you can sit there, you can study it. You can say, okay, here's where I have to dash. I'm going to grab this wall, drop, like dash again, whatever. And there's like a satisfaction of knowing and planning out what you're going to face and go through. But then with roguelikes, that satisfaction almost comes from, I don't know what it's going to throw at me, but I'm so good at this game that I'm going to be able to clear it. And so I think you can't measure that satisfaction evenly between games because it varies so widely. And I think permanent progression can cheapen that just a little bit. There's kind of a gray area for some uh, games in this style where as you go through, you can unlock more items, but they aren't necessarily permanent upgrades like in Hades where you've got more health or more mana or anything. And so you literally got retries in Hades. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like you die and you come back. That's not permadeath. But um, the games that I was kind of thinking of that fall into that gray area were Enter the Gungeon and Binding of Isaac because you're going through and you're unlocking new items, um, but there's not really that super permanent progression you're just increasing the pool of items and sometimes that doesn't help there were times in gungeon yeah. where i'm like oh cool i finally have enough credits to where i can buy this new item i don't know what it does but i'm gonna buy it and then i buy it and i find that it's awful and now yeah. like it spawns in chests it spawns in shops and i was better <laughs> off without it thanks i hate it <laughs> <laughs> and so there's kind of that gray area that people can get that designers can use to get around the permanent progression but then even then it's not a perfect system yeah. I mean, so I, I think I think you made some excellent points 
here um, in, in terms of what makes a roguelike good. I think it really comes down a lot to me to the genre of the game. If I tend to like the genre that the roguelike is in, I will probably like the roguelike, um, which makes sense. Like, if I like the gameplay style, I'm probably going to like the game. That makes sense. Um, the obvious exceptions to that are games like Dead Cells, which is, like, naturally kind of inclined for me. And, I, and like, don't get me wrong. I like the game, but it's not one I'm going to come back to all the time just because, like, it does feel kind of ironically, it does feel a little empty for me to keep coming back to the game, which is kind of interesting. Um, Slay, Slay the Spire kind of does the same thing, but uh, it's just different for each genre, basically. So, like, the ones I really, really like, I tend to like the top-down hack-and-slash, you know, gauntlet-style games. Um, I tend to like anything that feels like Mega Man. <laughs> uh, and, you know, like, Staradin feels like one of my favorite space shooters, so that, that, that's kind of where I am. But it's just interesting, because, like, they can, they can, a developer can ruin using a genre that I actually really like with poor implementation of the things that you went over or they can have great implementation or in a genre i'm not that crazy about and I, either way i'm not that crazy about the game so it's, it's it's an interesting thing yeah it definitely is so if a listener is wondering where they should start in roguelikes and they like things like a hack and slash game what type of roguelike game would you personally recommend to them to start with oh man i i would have trouble not just saying children of morta to be honest if you like a gauntlet style game geez that's a good one <laughs> um and, and it kind of gets you like it's it's a friend like the problem i have with that is like how do you go from that game to anything else on this list because it is so different and it's so good at what it does it's that that's hard um otherwise i mean hades is actually a pretty good pick there i agree i think those are great um hack and slash type games i think one that i would also recommend that goes on sale for actually just 99 cents is a cane i'm not sure if i'm saying that correctly a-K-A-N-E, and it's a game... I haven't played that yet. Super hack and slash, but you get hit once and you're dead. And so you've got um, these different goals that you go through each run, and you're supposed to kill like a certain amount of enemies or not get hit or kill people in a certain way. And as you do that, you get different upgrades, maybe a better weapon, maybe more stealth, maybe better movement. So I think hack and slash, definitely check that one out. If you're into deck building or card games, Slay the Spire is a great one. Slay one Step Spire, from Eden is yeah. a great one. Yeah. If you like resource management as well and kind of deck building, um, I recommend Nowhere Profit is a fun one. You hmm. are basically guiding followers through a desert and each follower is a card that you play onto a grid. And the way that you place them on the grid is super strategic, but you're also trying to manage food because you have to feed your followers. You're trying to keep their hope up. There's a lot of resource management and it progresses like Slay the Spire through a tree. But then you've also got these Oregon Trail type decisions to make each time. Like maybe you come across a settlement and you can attack them to get their food or you can try to recruit them to become a follower for you and you gain their cards. So... There's a lot of systems in that game. It may be overwhelming for some, but I feel like it's got enough cross sections in there to pull in a lot of people. So, That's I mean, cool. we could go on like all night going on about <laughs> all these different genres and roguelikes that people should try out. But do you have any other like last minute recommendations? Yeah, I want to give a couple. So, 
I've talked about this before, but please try Death Road to Canada. It's just it's kind of like Oregon Trail meets zombie apocalypse. It's just kind of amazing. Um, Has Been Heroes is one that like most people probably wouldn't have picked up, but it's actually a really good game. Uh, you gotta it's gonna kind of gel with you, so like give it a second, but it, it's pretty good. Um, and then the last one that we haven't brought up at all is a game called Iron Cast. Um, so this is boy, this is a this is a blending of styles. It's um steampunk Victorian era mech combat with match three puzzle mechanics in a roguelike. Wow. So if that's enough systems for you, then that's it's actually a pretty great game. Like the match threeness of it is more a function of how you progress in the mech battle, less than this is not just a puzzle game, which it kind of looks like, but it's not. Um, you're doing it like you're trying to match all the ammo cards so that you can actually shoot the mech, shoot your opponent and, and such. But as you do that, then you lose energy and coolant, so you need to like get all the energy ones collected. It's it's an interesting game. I played through it um, over this last week and actually kind of had a ball with it. So yeah, those would be my a couple of my my oddball ones. Yeah, those are great recommendations. Um, I think I went over all that I would recommend in the episode. Just again to highlight, Slay the Spire, Into the Breach, Into the Gungeon, One Step from Eden, Children of Mord, obviously are big. Um, one for those that have Xbox and Game Pass, there's one called Undermine, and it's styled almost like Stardew Valley. I don't know, just the different characters are villagers, and they just remind me of like Stardew characters. But you're going down into a mine, you're gathering gold, coming back up. The gold is saved between runs, most of it, and you're able to use that to like upgrade your weapons, gain spells, new items, things. Super lighthearted and. I don't know. I've just found myself playing that quite a bit. So if you wanted to try it out and you've got Game Pass, definitely check out Undermine. I will try that. Um, just going to our Twitter. So I did ask, and a bunch of people responded. Um, so we got comments of Spelunky, Faster Than Light, which is one I really want to play. Um, Moonlighter, which didn't quite click with me, um, but it was definitely a high-quality game. Hades, of course. Goner. Um, Binding of Isaac, 20XX. So t- Enter the Gungeon, Tumble Seed. Hey, Naprat. Um, who also said Dead Cells, and finally Star Wars Rogue Squad. Wait, that doesn't count. Anyways, um, yeah, I mean, so like I said, pretty good variety here. So definitely, and man, Spelunky, why isn't that on the Switch? We need it. Seriously, I feel like that's I've the road like I need it. to play. I feel like they're those quintessential games that you just need to play, like Binding of Isaac, Gungeon, and I mean, Isaac didn't really resonate with me fully, but. I don't know, Splunky just seems to be that roguelike game that everyone looks to. We need it. Yeah, I agree. But I think, yeah, um, if I'm if I'm given like a top three or something, it's it's got to be Morta, uh, Children of Morta. Um, One Step from Eden is probably there, and easy gets hard after that. Um, you know what? Crypt of the Necrodancer, probably. Nice. Yeah, I would definitely go Children of Morta, Slay the Spire, and then Into the Breach for my personal list. Nice. You like stressful games, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I do. But I think, so, I mean, obviously, we are we were not equipped to, like, go through every uh, roguelike out there. If you have one that you think we should check out, maybe we didn't mention it in this episode. First of all, I apologize. Couldn't. Um, but please let us know. Uh, and, I mean, that's me literally looking out for my personal interests. I would love to play more that people actually recommend. So please, you know, 
shoot them over to me. If there's one that you really like, um, hit us up at Twitter at Nintendo Jump or send us an email, Nintendo Jump Podcast at gmail.com or jump in our Discord and say, hey, you didn't mention blah. You know, <laughs> it, I, I would appreciate it personally. <laughs> but I think that's probably going to wrap us. Kellen, do you want to do uh, the, the question stuff? Oh, man, the pressure to get the verbiage correctly on all this. So good luck going over last week's question of the week that for that week was for that week. Yeah. Thanks for the assist there. The question was, what's your favorite third entry in a gaming franchise? And so answers from our audience included Naprat, who said Super Mario Brothers three. I feel like that's going to be common as I go through down, go down the responses here. Uh, Cube said, as a fan of Valve games, I find this question very disheartening. <laughs> Rip. Sorry. Man, just keep Half-Life waiting. Life 3 is the best. One of these days you'll get it. His real answer is Shantae and the Pirate's Curse, which is a great game. Definitely recommend as well. Dog said Luigi's Mansion 3. I didn't play the other nice. ones, but 3 was great. Uh, Phoenix said Super Mario Bros. 3 as well. Ferora's Dragon says Paper Mario at the Thousand Year Door. Sergio thinks this is a sneaky answer. It's not that sneaky of an answer. It it is technically the third Mario RPG game. Like it's the second Paper Mario game, so I mean, I don't know. I I'll allow it. I, I like it. Uh, Shy Guy says Super Metroid, which is a great choice. Can't argue yep. with that one at all. Light Blue Lakitu says Mario Party Three. Okay. Hi, I'm Tom. Says Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. Man, we got a lot of responses this time. Kevin says Donkey Kong Country Three. Um, Sergio says Phoenix, Phoenix, Wright, Trials and Tribulations. Big surprise there. <laughs> Dragon actually says Pikmin three. Um, and I'm supposed to ask if that answer is acceptable. You're the judge. It's acceptable. So yeah, Sergio is forgetting that. Hey, Pikmin is the fourth entry in the series. So sorry. All right. We'll allow it this time. Uh, yeah, man, filling in for Sergio is pretty rough there. I guess the calamity got the rest of the hosts here, and I think you're about to join them. But before then, <laughs> oh, let's uh, jump into this week's weekly well, question of the week. Well, we got we to gotta answer this. Oh. We're not off the hook, man. Man, this is my first time doing it. I didn't, uh, <sighs> didn't think about that. All right, Kellen, what is your favorite number three? Okay, so off the top of my head, I'm actually playing a number three right now. I'm playing Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, and it's a great game. I'm surprised I waited so long to actually try it out. Wait, you've got Marvel Ultimate Dude. Yeah, let's hit the online, man. I've got my Scarlet Witch super high up there. She's super upgraded. I'm just running through people right now, so let's hit online. By the way, that game is so good, if you're listening to this. Anyways, um, for me... I hate doing this because I don't like repeating answers, but we got so many answers that somebody had to land on the right one. It's obviously Super Metroid. Yeah. Like, come on. Super Metroid is, in my opinion, like a top five game all time. And it just happens to be the third game in a series. Come on. Come on. Yeah, that's a hard one to beat. I definitely agree with you on that one. All right. Now now we can do this week. So now I have to say the whole thing over again. Yes. All right. This week's weekly question of the week. What game has stressed you the most overall? I think we've talked about some stressful games here today. <laughs> you may see my answer come up uh, later on next week, and we may have mentioned it right here, so stay tuned. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We are going to jump on out of here. If you haven't already, please join our Discord group. Uh, there'll be a link to it in our description of this episode. It's also on our Twitter. Um, by the way, we're also on Twitter at Nintendo Jump, Instagram at Nintendo Jump. We have a Facebook group. Um, please send us any feedback you have, any comments, any roguelikes you think I should beat my head against the wall trying <laughs> at Nintendo Jump Podcast at gmail.com. Um, obviously, we do have a Patreon page. Uh, so that is by far the best way to support our show. Um, or if you are listening to this and you have not, please leave us a review um, on whatever podcast application you're you're listening on. Uh, what it, that does is it allows other people to find us and hopefully join our Discord and join in the fun. Uh, so, yeah, we'd really appreciate it. And there was more stuff on uh, this outro, but it doesn't apply. But uh, <laughs> I... I really read it Sergio dude read it no no it has things about eating Pikmin I'm not doing it <laughs> my name is Daryl on behalf of Kellen and all the other hosts we want to thank you for listening Sergio I'll get you for this we hope you have a great week see you guys see you guys final question final boss time what were the four criteria that Kellen mentioned as a good roguelike game? Man, I don't even know if I can answer that right now. Good luck. Goodbye. Goodbye.